The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are that of the hosts and represent no other individual organisation or entity. Good evening, Roger. Good evening, Adam. It is a pleasure to be back breaking the news with you again this week. Yes, and I hope you are feeling better because you weren't very well last week, were you? Yes, my apologies to the hundreds and thousands of listeners out there who complained that there was no show last week. That That's sarcasm. Um, but yeah, there wasn't a show last week because I was feeling really unwell. But fortunately, it wasn't anything serious and cleared up after about 40 hours of misery. So we're back with a vengeance and ready to catch up with breaking some news for another week. Yes, we certainly are. And yeah, I think we're going to be back for Saturdays for now. But like I say, we might still miss because... Yeah, my work schedule shifts are all at weird times. Yeah, I haven't been getting an awful lot of sleep, and I also haven't had much time for healthy meals either. So I've had some healthy meals, of course, um, but yeah, been very busy. Although it's my fault, to be honest, booking a lot of overtime, but um, it all helps. But like I say, last week I wasn't here, so I was going to update you on park run times. So at Art and Park last week, I got, um, I think, 2014, which was... 23 seconds slower than my PB there. But then today on Lister Park, which is actually an easier cast than Parton, I did terrible. I got 20.37 and that's one minute, two seconds slower than my PB there. And that cast is a lot flatter than Parton, so I should be doing a lot better there. And it's not for lack of training either, is it? Because you've posted me some of your training runs. And That is true, though. I haven't done as much training this past week, um, let's be honest. And had a lot of time to do a lot of training this past week. Well, you've done a heck of a lot more than I have. Although I have just finished my sixth week of the 5-2 diet, so I'm keeping up with that. My health's probably going to be deteriorating while yours is improving. I have to see how it goes, and I have booked a fairy test uh, for the 1st of March. Don't know why I'm announcing it publicly on here, but I don't think I'm under any pressure because I don't think we've got hardly any listeners anyway, have we? Well, you can always retake the theory test as well if you fail it. It's not such a big deal, but I do wish you all the best. Are you taking it in the centre in Little Germany? Yes, I believe so. I'm taking it on the Bradford site, so I'm guessing that's where it is. I, I've got the address on the email and looked at it. Well, I wish you the best of luck. I remember you telling me that it was the hazard perception you were still finding difficult. Yeah, although um, I've worked out I would probably just, just about scrape it at the moment. So, yeah, I need a little bit more practice on that. But, yeah, I think I can do it now. I've got the hang of those clips. But, yeah, I'm going to make sure that before the test and make sure that I keep refreshing myself. And I'm going to be clocking up some miles in my car this week because I'm off work and it's my middle daughter's birthday. So a happy birthday to my Charlotte. I'm going to take her to Hollingworth Lake for a, um, a day pony riding. I'm being quiet because she doesn't know that yet. And then on Friday, I'm going to take the whole family to Harrogate Indoor Funfair. So we're going to have a really good week. Sounds good. Well, I hope you enjoy it. You're going to have a very, very busy week then, aren't you? Yes, I'll be glad to go back to work in a week's time, but work hard. Well, then when you're at work, you'll be busy all the time then. Yeah, so it's a case of making the most of your leisure when you get it, and it's work hard, play hard. And are you going to go for any swims? 
I might actually try doing a wild swim at some point this week. I'm going to go for a long walk with my daughters tomorrow morning. Mm. I'm not sure where to yet. I might go to Brynham Rocks. Right. Heard of that place before. Whereabouts is that? (laughs) Just stick it in the sat-nav. A colleague recommended it to me, and it looks like a really nice place for climbing and -and hide-and-seek. There's, like, these unusually stacked rock formations there that my kids will love running around and climbing over, so... I'll see if I can find that. Well, I'm sure you'll be able to find that, so enjoy that. Just wanted to put a quick update in. 24 hours later, as I edit this, we did go to Brynham Rocks, and we had an ace time. Really nice place. Recommend it. Obviously, you're probably very busy, so you probably won't get time after doing that and swimming and taking your daughter's places. But if you uh, do have a bit of time, fancy getting out for a little jog, God, no. (laughs) But if you'd like to get in touch with us regarding your favourite sport, please email us at breakthenewspod at gmail.com. I think we're still looking for our first email. I might be getting some election leaflets shortly, so um, if I do end up getting those, uh, we may end up pausing this because I've got a lot on, which is why I'm only booking my favourite tests for the time being. I've got work, I've got learning to drive and potentially campaigning at an election as well. I think I may have overcommitted myself a little bit here. Well, we do have to use air time wisely and prioritise, and this is just a fun thing that me and you do, Adam, so there's nothing at stake here. Yeah, and we did. I think we did end up doing it slightly different last year, whilst I was doing the election, if I remember rightly. I can't quite remember. But I'm sure one thing, hopefully by the end of the year, things may have quieted down a little bit. Hopefully I'll be able to learn to drive over the summer. Don't know why I'm putting extra pressure on myself there. Um, But like I said, I want to learn to drive. Hopefully we'll be able to debate and discuss the um, upcoming general election. That will be interesting. And the local elections in May. Uh, definitely. Although, like I said, the general election only happens like once every under five years, so the much rarer general elections, and it's going to be very, very interesting to see who gets into power, and I think I know who will be in power. There's much to look forward to, but you're right, we have to look after ourselves. That is definitely true. I think we better get started, because obviously I'll need to sleep tonight, because I've got a shift tomorrow, so... I'm going to get straight into my first news story, which is Mike Freer. Because we missed last week, uh, I've got two news stories from the previous week and just one from this week, because this week's been a quiet news week. Can we just say, before we start, it is the 10th of February 2024. We're already into the second month of the year and still no announcement of when that election's going to be. One MP that's not going to stand is Mike Freer. So Justice Minister Mike Freer, a Tara MP, is stepping down due to vitriolic hatred, death threats and an alleged arson attack on his office. The PM's spokesperson condemned the abuse, emphasising the need for elected officials' safety. Common Speaker... So Lindsay Hoyle expressed sadness and pledged to enhance MP security. MPs across parties denounced the abuse with calls for a kinder political discourse. Freer urged 
social media firms to combat incitement to violence. The incident highlights the growing problem of intimidation and threats faced by politicians, prompting concerns for the health of parliamentary democracy. Now, I did share this with you, Kat. I don't know whether you read it, but I did say that I thought this should be the lead story. And I've noticed even ChatGPT have cut out the real threat, which was from the Islamic community. It was not good what this MP has been faced with. And we definitely don't want um, another MP to get killed. No, and I can understand why MPs like Mike Freer are very worried. No one deserves to be feeling threatened in that way, no matter how terrible they are as politicians. And is this the reason why we've got a lot of corrupt MPs? Because the good MPs that probably do want to stand are probably too frightened to because of their safety. I hope not, because I think there's been plenty of good people out there in the past who have been good despite their safety. You know, I'm thinking of the likes of Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King, who didn't give a damn. Yeah, but uh, we seem to have a lot of MPs that are not speaking out because they're worried about the safety. And I think I read in news, I think he's not the only MP that's going to be standing down. There's many other Conservative MPs that are considering standing down because of this reason. And it's mostly Conservative MPs on the right of the political party that are thinking like this. I, I do think that that's maybe putting off a lot of good common sense MPs from actually standing. That's probably why we've got a ruined party in a ruined country. I think it is a sign as well, as we've discussed on this podcast before, that politics and people are getting more and more extreme. Yeah, I think we are, unfortunately. And I have no idea. This this story, from what I saw, I don't even think it made the uh, BBC News website front page. Um, I was really shocked by how much this was hidden. I thought this should have been the lead story, but it wasn't. Why do you think it's been hidden, Adam? Because the BBC don't want to talk about it. GB News had it as the lead story on one one of the days, Um, and Nigel Farage was really annoyed about it on his programme. I know there has been other big pieces of big news, like the Clapham suspect and Prince Charles, who we've opted not to talk about this week because there isn't much to say. That is true, um, but these sorts of things happen all the time. These death threats should really be taken seriously. Um, there is a Clapham suspect um, who they've not found, and that probably were the leading story at the time, but the trouble is there's loads of dangerous people on the run. Now, we should really be talking about what the concerns are for the future and the implications of this, which is why I'm talking about this MP. Do you feel worried about potentially going into politics for this reason? A little bit, yes, I do actually, because I've seen it. Um, some of these people are very, very, very um, strongly um, politicised, uh, so connected to the community, and anything that goes against them, they will not stand for it. So I do, in a way, feel um, a bit concerned about going for it if I wanted to speak out about issues like this. Um, it certainly stopped prevent me from speaking out about issues like this. Probably if if I was out in the public, out in the open, although I would, def- I would speak about them 
in the House of Commons, of course, just be about where you say the things. I probably would want uh, security guards. And I also want to mention, before we move on, for this reason, I think to make sure that MPs do choose to go into politics, I think MPs should be allowed to have free security guards. I agree that there should definitely be a budget taken from taxpayers to keep our leaders safe. I don't see any argument with that, Adam. And I think if they did that, I think there'd be a lot more good politicians that would choose to go into politics. I think most of the good ones are avoiding it for that reason. I imagine the big boys like the cabinet ministers get security detail thrown in, but Mm. I have heard stories that the amount of security in politics is surprisingly a lot lighter than most people think. Yeah, people don't realise just how vulnerable these MPs actually are. It's scary enough as just a nobody going out your door these days because there's extremists of so many forms. Yep, that is true, and uh, I think it's concerning the way the world's coming, which is the reason why that is the um, lead story this week. It doesn't look like things are getting any better internationally with all of these wars going on or starting and my first bit of news today is relating to the Russia-Ukraine war and the biggest piece of news to go out of that in the recent last couple of weeks I think is um, the interview that Vladimir Putin has done with the um, US celebrity interviewer person Tucker Carlson and according to the BBC Vladimir Putin lectured, joked and dominated the conversation Carlson, instead of challenging Putin on pressing issues like the invasion of Ukraine or political repression at home, mostly listened and allowed Putin to dictate the narrative. Well, of course he did. He wants to get out of there alive, doesn't he? The interview largely sidestepped critical topics, focusing on Putin's narratives and grievances, including his denial of Ukraine's sovereignty and justification for the invasion. Carlson's failure to challenge Putin's assertions or present counterfacts highlights the selective nature of Putin's media appearances and the lack of accountability in the interview. Putin used the opportunity to portray Russia as open to dialogue while downplaying his aggression in Ukraine and avoiding accountability for alleged war crimes. On the topic of being open to dialogue, one of the things that he mentioned in the interviews was that our very own lad, Boris Johnson, um, dissuaded him from doing so. Lies and propaganda, Adam? Or an insight into the mind of a leader? What do you think? Well, I'm not sure if you'll ever get leaders telling the truth. Do you think this is the truth of Putin? I could see Boris Johnson saying or doing something so mind-bendingly stupid, but... At the same time, I'm not inclined to believe anything that comes out of Putin's mouth because he's an evil, warmongering scumbag. But to be honest, pretty much everyone involved in this Ukraine and Russian war is an evil, warmongering scumbag. So do you think Boris is like that? Because he had a massive commitment to Ukraine. Boris is an amoral fool. Well, they did lie a lot, didn't they, in the lockdowns? Did he lie or did he mislead or tell an untruth? That's the thing. And um, our politicians, the likes of Rishi and uh, and Boris, were, were very good at that. Actually, not lying, but hiding the truth. So nothing would surprise me here. It doesn't surprise me that 
Tucker Carlson just let Vladimir Putin speak and wasn't out for an argument. If I was with a world leader who could demand my death, I would definitely make an effort to get on with him and not argue. So that's fair enough. I suppose it's interesting to hear a little bit more from Vladimir Putin because we certainly hear enough from Zelensky, but it's not done anything to change my mind or thinking about the Ukraine-Russian war. Yes, we'll just have to see what happens with that because there's a war going on there. I still think we should support Ukraine, but our current level of support is too much. Yeah, because let's be honest, there's the potential for wars taking place in the Middle East. And what happens if our country becomes in, ends up in a war and we have no weapons left? We do need um, a strong military as well, don't we? So US retaliates with strikes against Iran backed militaries targeting seven sites in Iraq and Syria. Biden administration faces criticism on timing and forcefulness. Experts suggest the approach aimed at degrading militaries without escalating to a wider war with Iran. Republicans criticise Biden's response as too lenient, calling for more decisive actions against Iran. Biden administration may be avoiding a serious conflict and domestic political pitfalls. Do you think we need to be careful of Iran? Yes, definitely. But we do need to assert ourselves and defend our trade routes. So it is a very tricky balance that needs to be reached. Yes, I agree. And do you think this war is going to end well or end badly? I'm worried this is going to be bad. All war is bad, but Biden seems to be in a very strong state of cognitive decline it could all just be propaganda leading up to the u.s election i I don't know but uh, i'm very worried about the state of him yeah and what about in terms of uk politics do you think these wars in the middle east is going to deeply affect uk politics this year i know there's um, a by-election coming up in Rochdale, I believe your ho- hometown. Yep. Um, who George Galloway, for example, he's campaigning hard in. And we saw how George Galloway exploited the people of Manningham, and sadly, he'll probably win. Yeah, even though the bookmakers have him a second, his um, price has come in an awful lot, and he had an awful lot of support at his opening. I think they're underestimate how popular he actually is in the Muslim community and how much they're focused on this. I think it'll come as a real shock to the leaders in the UK that they've actually voted George Galloway in. I think there'll be a massive shock when it comes in that he's won, but I I, I do. I honestly think he's going to win. And I think the reason why George Galloway does win is because these desperate constituencies want some attention paid to them. Yeah, and I think I think when they see this, they'll realise, oh, this has gone terribly wrong. George Galloway is back in again. And unfortunately, that attention won't come from George Galloway himself because once he is elected, they won't see him for dust. Well, they might see him speaking up maybe about a few things in Parliament. But he won't speak up for Rochdale. He never spoke up for Manningham. No, and what, what did he actually speak up about when he was in Breath and West? Because this was before my time. When he was campaigning... He was talking about making the schools better, making the streets safer, making the streets cleaner. 
And they will talk about the Iraq war as well, won't they? Improving housing, improving slum landlords. He was very on the pulse of what the people in that area needed. His campaign was excellent. And then when he won, he did nothing. We're only interested in the Iraq war. Yeah. And Brexit and all that kind of stuff. Uh, well, it will be against Brexit. I've listened to some of his stuff. He tries to make it out as if it's quite funny, doesn't he? Uh, and he he does weird things. He wears a weird hat. I, th- I think he's quite a smart guy, to be honest. I think he's all in it for himself more than anything. I agree with everything you just said, Adam, except I won't hear a word against his hat. I do think that George Galloway's hat is very cool. I think he does all this to get himself elected, and then he gets the money, and he's, in it, he's all in it for himself. From what I can see, I think he's quite a smart guy. I think he knows what's going to happen if he does this and what if he says this. He knows full well he's going to get elected. I think so too. So I don't. I don't think our leaders have picked up on that yet. That he's going to win in Rochdale, and I think Labour are going to have a shock defeat in Rochdale. Probably one of their first national by-election defeats. The first one since Richard Sunak became prime minister. Although it won't be, it won't be gained by the Conservatives. It'll be gained by uh, George Galloway because a lot of I think a lot of the Muslim community will vote uh, for him. Um, and they were formally voting Labour, and then the English community's votes are all going to be split between Labour, the Conservatives, the Green Party, the Liberal Democrats, and Reform. So the English community's vote is split, but their vote's not going to be split as much. I think he's going to smash this. There's a lot to be said in favour of unity there, and a bit of community cohesion. Yeah, I think they'll be very shocked when they see the result um, that George Galloway wins. I'm sure we'll cover that when we get to it. And you'll want to cover that too, won't you, if it been your hometown? Absolutely. I do like to keep one eye on Rochdale. I ended up accidentally driving through there um, a couple of weeks ago on my way home from my mum's. Because you wanted to have a look at it? No, because my sat-nav wanted me to avoid the M62 and it took me through Rochdale, which was a big mistake. The roads were in a shocking state. But it wasn't as bad as Bradford. Now, something which is close to both of our hearts is the police. But we know they're doing a very bad job. Um, so what's happening in Wales then, Roger? As, a, as an educator, it's always interesting when we get visitors into our school to give messages to the kids and I think it's very powerful and you know that I'm very big on investing in our kids so I'd be interested to see what the debate is here about the Welsh Government's decision because they have decided to end funding for the School B Cymru programme which involved police officers visiting schools to educate pupils on various topics such as substance abuse safety, safeguarding and behaviour this decision aimed at saving £2 million annually starting from April, has drawn criticism from police commissioners and schools, who argue that the programme plays a crucial role in supporting pupils' well-being and development. While police commissioners have pledged to fund the programme until July, concerns have been raised about the potential negative impact on children and young people's education and safety. The Welsh Government defended its decision, citing the need to prioritise frontline services amid financial pressures and note changes in the educational landscape with the introduction of a new curriculum. 
Do you think police visiting schools is a waste of time and money, Adam? Or do you think this is a big mistake? The children need to know about who the police force are, or whether we even have a police force. I think there are a lot of other things that they do need to be focusing on. But yeah, um, I do think uh, that children should be entitled to learn about the police. I agree. Well, frontline policing shouldn't suffer. I always think it's foolhardy to remove any sort of investment that you're making in young people. And once again, just like we've seen in Bradford with the closure of the outdoor residential centre, Wales are now ending police visits to schools and it's another resource that young people are going to miss out on that teachers can't use to deliver a great education a great experience i'm sure you remember times when the police came to your school and had a talk i do yeah i remember it um, in primary school although there were actually police in the in my high school because it wasn't a good school i remember it well and yeah they, they, they did come into the primary school to teach but they didn't i don't think they actually i don't think i actually ever saw them in a class classroom at my high school although they were definitely in the school they were in the school all the time but that was more trouble not to come in to talk to the people and i bet in vulnerable communities like that police visits probably pay for themselves in terms of crime prevention i bet they prevent more than two million pounds worth of crime but the trouble is you don't know how much crime it's preventing until you remove it and in 10 years time wales might be about to find out It's a gamble that they shouldn't have done. There's plenty of police officers who, for health reasons or psychological reasons, probably couldn't work on the front line. So why not train them up and get them in schools? I agree. Not every police officer wants to go down the route of actual crime. So there's plenty of other people that can come in and do talks. They've all got different departments. So yeah, why not? I bet there's retired police officers who do it for free. They probably will be, yes. Um, I'm sure, sure some of them would be happy to come in and speak about the career and stuff, open and honestly. So the Welsh Government need to get their thinking caps on here, I think, and um, come up with a better solution than this. It's a very desperate, nickel and diamond move to remove this programme to help frontline policing, and it, it won't work anywhere. Two million will just be a drop in the ocean. And this is under a Labour government, um, so I'm not sure how Keir Starmer will play out when he becomes Prime Minister, although you seem to like him in Prime Minister questions, don't you? I don't think he's done superbly well in the last few Prime Minister's questions, but Sunak has made an embarrassment of himself. Sunak's developing a habit of every time Keir Starmer brings up a touching, relatable, real-life story... Sunak treats it as a joke and is making himself look really sociopathic, if I'm honest. He keeps trying to change the question and he keeps trying to make Keir Starmer look a fool, but like I say, Sunak doesn't seem to be cutting through very well. I can see what he's doing, but yeah. He should be focusing on making himself look human. Yes. Does it seem very human to you? Not when you make him jokes about trans kids when you've got the parents of a trans child who committed suicide in the public yeah but it was nothing nothing to do with that trans child that was Keir Starmer that made it into that Keir Starmer mentioned at the start that there was a trans kid's parents who'd committed suicide in the public gallery and then Sunak still made the joke that he did 
And that's yeah, just stupid. But, uh, it, it was on Keir Starmer's failure to recognise what a, 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 a woman was. He says that he couldn't describe what a woman is. So how was that anything to do with that uh, kid? It wasn't no. to do with that particular child, I agree. But it was to do with the group and the community and the topic that was that child. Yeah, well, that's true. But yeah, I probably didn't think that way at the time. No. So I wouldn't really blame Sunak for that. But yeah, they are both on the spot when they do those questions, aren't they? They are, and it's a high-pressure situation, but that's the game that they are in. If you become Prime yes, Minister, and, you and do and Prime it, Minister's questions. And it always, it always seems like Mr Sunak's really enjoying himself doing it as well, doesn't it? Well, I think the cut and thrust and theatre of Prime Minister's questions is part of the reason why they do it. It's one of the biggest parts of being Prime Minister. Yes, and I think it's one of the things that they enjoy the most as well. Perhaps. <laughs> they do, unless, unless they're going through a very bad time. And I get the feeling Sunak's going to be going through some very tough times in the next few months. Yes, um, probably getting himself out of government as well, unfortunately. There is an issue with NHS dentists, something that Nigel Farage seems to talk a lot about. So the UK government plans to incentivise dentists to work in underserved areas by offering a £20,000 bonus alongside increasing payments for various dental services. However, these measures have been criticised by dental leaders and the Labour Party for not adequately addressing the underlying issues. The British Dental Association argues the plan falls short and won't resolve the ongoing dental care crisis. Despite additional investments and adjustments to payments, concerns persist about the sustainability and accessibility of NHS dental care. What do you think about the NHS dentist crisis, Roger? Well, it's been a long time, fortunately, since I've needed to use a dentist but I've seen footage of the queues outside that new dentist that opened down south and had to shut after two days because it was so overwhelmed and it is very worrying. Fortunately, I've got a wife who plans far ahead and my children are off to see the dentist this week. We have to book our dental appointments for our children nine months in advance. Really? <laughs> yeah, to get them all in at once and get them seen at a decent time. But... That's the kind of planning that you have to put into it now if you want an NHS dentist. If I go to the NHS dentist, I see signs saying, we're not taking you any new patients and you've got to uh, pay privately if you want to be registered with us. So for new patients, they won't even allow them to go through the NHS. They've got to do it through the private at the place. My experience of the emergency dental service in Bradford is that it is pretty good, but... It's a shame that you have to wait until you're in absolute agony before you get any sort of decent service. You either have to be in complete agony or book nine months in advance if you want to be seen. But for anyone who hasn't got a dentist at all, um, it must seem hopeless. And the costs of going private are huge, so that's the reason why the government's having to fund it to encourage them to offer on the NHS, so paying dentists extra money just for taking on my patients. So 
that's just to stop them all and putting them through the private because they make more money out of that. Yeah, so I do think this policy will work, but I do think it's going to cost the government an awful lot of money. It's a good time to be a dentist. Well, I'm not sure if they'll be getting huge pay rises, but um, the companies, the dentist companies, they'll certainly be making big profits from it. I wonder who has interest in these big medical dental companies. Could it be our politicians and their friends and families? I have no idea. There might be some people that have interests in them, but there'll be other ones that don't, so it'll vary. There's always going to be some that'll have interests in them. The best of luck to anyone who is searching for a dentist out there. I actually think this is one of the things that Bradford is slightly better at than other places. Yeah, I haven't actually seen it on the Telegraph and Argus about it being ranked as a bad place to get a dentist, have you? No, but I actually think that's because a lot of migrants do end up in Bradford, and some of them actually are skilled dentists, or they come here and train here and stay here. So we do get a bit more of a workforce to draw from, I think. Yeah, so that could be the reason why... I actually read an article that there were many businesses that were hiring people abroad for skilled labour in the UK. But I want to mention, people think, oh, British people don't want to work. It's not that's the case. It's that companies are wanting skilled people for a skilled job. They want someone with the skills now. The companies don't want to train them up. The companies are lazy themselves to train people up. It's that they want skilled labour now, isn't it? And they want it cheap. Yes, and that's the reason why they're doing it. So it's not that British workers are necessarily lazy, it's that they don't have the skills for the occupations. There's a big difference. Well, I have one more tale of someone who was in a job that they definitely shouldn't have been in. I'm certainly interested in this because it does meet with my professional field. I've actually been in conferences where I listened to this individual talk about child protection and keeping kids safe. Two prominent politicians in Bradford, Robbie Moore and Councillor Jeanette Sunderland, have demanded an inquiry into the appointment process of Irfan Alam, who was the former Deputy Director of Children's Social Care at Bradford Council. That's the social care that have been disbanded and put into trust because they were judged unfit after... Mm. Ofsted inspections and the Star Hobson case. Alarm was recently sentenced for possession and supply of crystal meth. Both Moore and Sunderland expressed concerns about Alam's suitability for the role given the nature of his offences and the critical responsibilities involved in safeguarding children. They called for transparency from the council regarding the hiring process and raised questions about whether proper procedures were followed. The council spokesperson stated that thorough background checks were conducted before Alam's appointment with no red flags detected. What kind of nonsense is this, Adam? I honestly have no idea. Why why did they have no red flags detected? That's what the investigation needs to uncover. So I think Robbie Moore and Jeanette Sunderland, whoever they are, they're probably some of the very few half-decent leaders we have in Bradford. Yep, and I've even met Janet Sunderland personally. I know she's a Lib Dem, but I have met her. So good on them for calling this scumbaggery out, and um, I hope Alam gets a nice harsh sentence for his crystal meth flinging ways. But this just goes to show the 
the corruption that uh, the Labour Party have had on our children's services. Labour are supposed to be seen as the party for care. Well, they don't seem to be caring about children. How ridiculous to put a drug dealer in a prominent position in Bradford Children's Services. People should be going nuts about this, but the news just doesn't spread. It doesn't go anywhere. No, and the Telegraph and Argus seem to be biased and seem to like the Labour Party, don't they? Because they keep removing um, comments on the website that criticise the Labour Party. Well, this Erfan Alam guy wasn't of any political party. He wasn't an MP. He was part yeah. of children's social care. That It was his job. Yeah, well, which party was in power, though? Children's services were run by the Labour-run Bradford Council. But it would be a little bit unfair, though, to say that everyone who works for the council, that means that they're Labour, isn't it? Because that's like... That is true. That is absolutely true, and I agree with you. They should be able to manage um, the services that's much better. It's like with all the tips that they're closing, they haven't thought about the extra costs that's going to add on with all the people that are going to have to be employed to clean up the flight up and there just doesn't seem to be any long-term thinking at all it, it is what kia says sticking plaster politics all the time yeah and oh, it's even worse than in the government isn't it the corruption in this council oh we can't be bothered fixing up the interchange properly let it rot there's still no news when that's going to reopen or oh, we're building a massive live arena in the middle of bradford we haven't got any acts who will perform there, but we're building it anyway. Over our part of Bradford in the Labour so-called heartlands, we don't even have very good public transport. Our public transport's terrible. We don't even have a train station. Bradford is just like to rot in our areas. People have started calling 2024 the year of the vote, and I think that's the big thing that is giving people hope. What, the election? The elections, yeah. What, what, people are just desperate to get the Conservatives out nationally. And desperate to have their voices heard. Yeah, but the trouble is, if they vote the Labour Party in, uh, they're probably going to get even more corruption because we've seen what it's like in Bradford. That's true, but at least it might give people hope for a few months. Yeah, but they'll quickly lose it when they see what's going on in um, government. Oh, well, we'll figure it out, and I'm sure you and me will be here to break it, mourn about it, and maybe think of a couple of solutions. Um, it was great to be breaking the news with you this evening, Roger. I'm glad that we're able to do a podcast this week. Hopefully we'll be able to do one next week, but like I say, we'll just have to wait and see. I just wish everyone listening to this podcast all the best. Take care. Spread the love this Valentine's Day, if that's your sort of thing. And thanks for listening. Yep, thank you for listening, and I didn't even realise it was Valentine's Day either. So, yep, see you again next week. Bye-bye.